had a lot of junk sort of kind of rolling around up in here a little bit this morning. Um, one thing I'd had in mind is I don't know that it's fully appropriate for this morning. One thing I've, I've now got in mind, I don't know that I'm fully prepared. Um, as I was sitting there through the song service, I thought, you know, I think I just kind of rather continue singing a little bit because the songs, uh, whether y'all realized it or not, I was encouraged by the songs that were sung. And I just sort of kind of, I kind of sort of saw this theme flowing through it, whether it was intentional or not by y'all. Um, so for, to start with, I just want to read to you from the book of First Samuel, chapter 30. We may go, we may go a little bit into what I had uh, thought about speaking on this morning, but for right now we're going to start in First Samuel 30. <clears throat> Find an instance here where David, as leader of the army of Israel, has been away from home for a while, and as they come back to their land. They found out that the Amalekites had invaded this city, Ziklag. It says here in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1 that they had invaded Ziklag, they had smitten Ziklag, burned it to fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captives. David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. I'm sure that if I was in that situation and had seen what David and his men saw, I'd probably weep too. I don't know that there's any more, uh, I don't know that there's any tool that the devil uses in life more than the tool of discouragement. He uses anger with people. He uses uh, fighting with people. He uses... Uh, Substance abuse with people. He uses the love of money, the love of power. But more than anything, I think what he uses is the tool of discouragement. David and his men, no doubt, are greatly discouraged at this time when they see the condition of Ziklag uh, they come back to. Um, even within this story, that they would look out and see, see, David. David's only seeing one part of this situation. We can read this and we can see both sides at the same time. David comes back and he sees a city burned with fire, broken down, invaded, and empty because the women and children are gone. David, not being God, cannot see where they are. He cannot see the end result of this. He cannot see where the women are. He cannot see where the children are. All he sees is just right in front of him. 
does not, not describe every one of us so often in life. The only thing that we can see is what is directly in front of us. And with the, the human minds that we have that are of the earth earthy, um, you know, Paul told the church at, at Corinth uh, in one particular passage, he says, casting down every imagination that exalts itself against Christ. Uh, vain, the Bible talks about vain imaginations as well, I empty imaginations. We as human beings have the tendency, because of our sinful nature, to have vain, empty imaginations that exalt themselves against the person of Christ, don't we? We have a way, in other words, of looking at a situation and just blowing it completely out of proportion. And what's, what's the saying that people use? Don't turn a molehill into a mountain. Or they turned a molehill into a mountain. They took a very, very small thing and exaggerated it beyond comparison. I dare say that that probably is what causes us to be greatly discouraged a lot in life. Is that we see what's right in front of us and we think this is the only side of the situation. And we all too quickly forget we are not God. Now, <clears throat> it is true that the situation in front of us can be dreadful. I don't deny that. It is true that a situation in front of you, that you now, and what we say in front of you, is just a, a situation you're experiencing right now at this moment. It can be dreadful. It can be horrible. I remember as, as a ten-year-old child sitting in, in a hospital chapel when the doctor came in and gave my mother the news that my father was not going to make it that night. That was a dreadful situation. That was a horrible situation. We all hung our heads and cried. Me, my mother, the pastor that was there at that time. Jerry called me one night. He said, you got to pray for my family. My grandmother has passed away unexpectedly. So we ran up there. And it, it was. It wasn't a happy feeling. What was right in front of us was dreadful. What was right in front of us was completely discouraging. It's in a lot of those situations that you realize you are absolutely helpless in life. We award people for achieving this and achieving that. The sports world awards people all the time. Business world tries to award people things. But when it comes down to, to the true matters in life, life and death, you're ultimately helpless against life that's in front of you. And it's in situations like this that as David uh, and the people lifted up their voice and wept till they had no more power to weep, it, that, that's the outcrying of the human being saying, I am helpless. 
in this situation. The situation is completely out of my control. The, the, the situation is completely outside the bounds. And you've met those people in life who are control freaks. There's no bigger control freak in this world than the person riding in the car with you. You ever tried to teach somebody to drive? Or you talk about a fretful, frightening situation. That whole situation is also out of your control. That's, that's why it's stomping on the floorboard, grabbing on the handle, hitting on the dashboard. You ever watched a football game? You ever watched a football game at the last second? Your team is going to kick the game-winning field goal. And you see it go up, and you're sitting in your chair, and you're watching the ball drift, and you just kind of lean to the side because you're going to help the ball go along. You're not in control of that. And the sad thing is, is once that man kicked that ball, once it left his foot, he's no longer in control of it either. Wouldn't that, isn't that an illustration for life? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that an interesting illustration of life that I can only control sometimes what's in my hand and even sometimes I can't control that. But once I let go of it, once I send it out, it's going to go where it goes. We can't see in this situation that the women and the children, their sons and their daughters, were taken captive alive. David can only see what's what's right in front of him. Now when I when I was thinking about this, um, the term the term discouraged uh, only appears five times in the scriptures. One of it is is you know, concerning a bit of this, this is a concept of discouragement, but uh, when you turn back to the book of Numbers 21, there's a, there's a time of discouragement here. In Numbers uh, 21, and while you're turning there, I had a piece of paper with me a while ago. David, is there a piece of paper in my book right there? Bring that to me. In Numbers 21, uh, Israel uh, is traveling through the wilderness. Um, and they're about to encompass uh, the land of Edom uh, around a place called Mount, Mount Hormah. In Numbers 21, it says, I'd like for you to read in verse 4 with me. It says, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom. The soul of the people was much 
discouraged because of the way. Well, if you if you were in Israel at this time, you'd probably be a discouraged person as well. Prior to this, they were instructed to go into the land of Canaan. We're here at Kadesh. There's a land called Kadesh Barnea. We're sitting here in Kadesh Barnea. There's the land of Canaan. Just go in and get it. What God said. Instead of doing that, they decided to spy out the land, as you know the story. Instead of doing what God the Father instructed them to do, they decided to stick their nose in it, essentially, to find out whether or not God knew what he was talking about. I don't think human beings have changed at all. You know, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Essentially what Solomon is saying is every sin that was committed in his day had been committed hundreds of years before he was born. Every sin that's committed in our day has been committed since the time of Solomon. So that that, true, that saying will ring out true until time is no more. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no new argument against God under the sun. They've all been argued. They've all been proved wrong. But they've all been argued. And the one thing that we know about reading the history of Israel is that human beings never learn from history. So here they are. They have, um, they're, they're approaching the land of Edom. They're down here on the south end of it. And where they want to be is directly north of the land of Edom. And they want to just walk right through the land. That's their request. The people spake against God and the people spake against Moses. Now, what's interesting about this, that they had come to this land. They said to the people of, of Edom, and Edom is uh, Edom's the descendants of Esau. We want to go through your land. We'd like to pass through here. We're not going to touch anything. We're not going to take anything. We just want to walk on your highway, through your city, through your town, through your country, to the top of it. Make our journey a little easier. And the descendants of Esau, the people of Edom here, come out and say, if you come anywhere near us, we'll kill all of you. And so now instead of going through the land of Edom, they've got to come south around the land of Edom, around the way of Mount Hor. It's a longer journey. It's a more difficult journey. And it's unpleasing to the people. Life itself is a long, difficult, hard journey. I wish now at, at 49, I wish now at 49, I had the problems I thought I had at 15. 
I heard a woman say the other day, she said, I wish I was as fat now as I thought I was when I was 16. I wish I had the problems now I thought I had when I was a teenager. We had it easy, didn't we? Mom and Daddy did everything for us. Mom and Daddy had already plowed the garden. All we did was eat the fruit of what they did. Sitting at the table yesterday after lunch, uh, Sister Leanne was there, and, and she brought a, a new man friend with her. And uh, he was talking about one of his daughters that she's gotten married and, uh, and moved out. And now all of a sudden she's calling him with complaints and problems and difficulties about life. And he's like, wow, you hit that wall in a hurry, didn't you? Because she she's only like 18, 19. She got married right out of, out of high school. And it's like, you know, you, you sort of want to say to this person, wow, what trouble. Tell me more. I've never heard of this. I hear people complaining about Disney nowadays, which Disney's completely in the gutter now. Complaining that Disney's not putting out enough proper entertainment for people. Where did we get the idea we couldn't live without TV? Where did we get the idea that we had to have the TV on 24 hours a day in our life? How did we get to this point? We want the easy road in life a lot of times. We want the easy way in life a lot of times. And when the way gets rough, the way gets long, the way gets out of the way, we'll start complaining. And that's what Israel did. They started complaining against God because the people was much discouraged because of the way. I don't know why it is, it seems sometimes, that when the Bible says that God shall give the Holy Ghost to them that ask it, that whenever you ask for the Holy Ghost, life just gets hard. I haven't figured that out yet. I've been at this for 25 years and I have not figured that out yet. But I do know this. I read, a, I read an article this, this past week, and I tried to find it uh, this morning before we got to church, and I couldn't, but I'll give you kind of gist of it. That There was a young girl in the past that used to pray to the Lord. She'd pray publicly. If she was publicly, she'd pray, and she always ended her prayers with this. This we ask with no conditions. The prayer simply means... We ask for your will, and we don't put any conditions on it for us. We want to be blessed of God sometimes, but we don't want it to cost us anything, is what she was bumping against. In other words, we want God to change our situation, but we don't want God to change us. I want God to give me more money, but I don't want to change my spending habits. I want God to change me, make me lose weight, but I don't want to change the way I eat. I want God to bless me on Sunday morning, but I don't want to have to pray for it, and I don't want to have to study for it. See, we pray with conditions a lot of times. 
Israel was constantly like that. God would tell them to do something, and it's like their response was always harnessed with a condition. They wouldn't be in this position here in Numbers 21 if they'd have just done what God told them to to start with. But now they're out here in the middle of this and they're greatly discouraged by the way. Uh, it, Deuteronomy chapter 1, I, I, I'll turn there real quick just to kind of give you that scripture that Moses was talking about. He's There's a couple of times that this comes up. It's uh, Deuteronomy 1, starting with verse 19. And when when we were departed from Horeb, we went throughout all the great and terrible wilderness, which he saw by the way of the mountain, the Amorites and the Lord. Our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, You're coming to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. But the first time that they had done that, First time that they come to this land and the, and the, the ten spies came back, it says here in verse 27, you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying. Let's just, let's just stop right there at at that comment. The majority of Israel doesn't want to go because the the report of those that came back, he says, our brethren have discouraged us saying. I'd originally thought that I would, would speak on when not to talk. Maybe I should have just done that to start with. There, there's no weaker member in your body than the tongue. I mean, there's not a whole lot it can do. It can't sow, it can't reap, it can't plant, it can't build. But it sure can tear down, can it? I don't know I don't know of another thing in my life and in your life that is more dangerous than the tongue in your mouth. You know, when James was talking about that in his little book, he said, you know, the tongue is just a little member. But it's a little member that's set on the whole course of hell, a fire of iniquity. When you uh, when you look in, say, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs fourteen and verse one says, 
Proverbs 14 and verse 1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. I realize that this is a, uh, a, a natural admonition to husbands and wives here on this earth. But is not, is not the church called the bride of Christ? How easy it is for people to not control themselves and therefore, well, let me put it to you this way. More churches have died because of infighting than heresy ever killed. It's real easy to look at the person across the aisle and say the whole problem with this church is them. If they were just better, if we had better deacons, if we had better song leaders, if we had better members, if we had better this, that, or the other. And very seldom do we look and say this church would be better if I was a better person. Bible also tells us that he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. If you're still here in the book of Proverbs, notice, uh, let's see, Proverbs 18. Let's look at that. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. You ever been talking to somebody, you're trying to explain something, you're trying to explain your case, and they immediately interrupt you. And they just start talking themselves because they just know where you're going with this. They know what you're going to say. You're like, well, you know everything, I might as well just shut up. David and his men kind of get in this position over here in 1 Samuel wherein they see this. They think they know what has occurred. So what does David do about this? Turn back to First Samuel. First Samuel thirty is uh, where we started. It says here in verse First uh, Samuel thirty and verse six that David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Now this is interesting to me. Um, these men that David were leading to battle here, there, and yonder were all willing to go and follow him as long as everything was well. Now something has turned up. Something is wrong. Something has happened here. And now they're ready to stone him. We do this a lot. We do this a lot in the church. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, I won't mention any names. That's not the purpose of this. 
Uh, but I remember attending a, a meeting many years ago, a very large meeting, uh, state somewhere north of here. And uh, most every preacher that got up tried to tell the church there how much that church meant to them and how much that pastor meant to them and how much his radio broadcast meant to them. And I thought, this ain't going to end well. And it wasn't long before that same preacher where we're all crowning King of Kings amongst us has now been shunned by almost every Baptist, old Baptist that there is. You're going to find out in your life that there are a lot of people around you who will praise you as long as the sun is shining. But when it gets dark and rainy, Things get difficult. People are always looking for somebody else to blame. It's just a fact. It's just the way that human beings are. The last election we had showed you that. Everything, as far as the economy was, was going great. Greatest economy we had in many years. But there's the disturbance over here that's not being dealt with. And the people were yoked up to be dissatisfied. And they took him down. Same thing happened to another man y'all know. Your elder brother. Jesus Christ. As long as he was healing the sick, healing the lame, Multiplying a few loaves and fishes and feeding the thousands. Great companies followed him. But the moment he started preaching, they all turned and walked away. They didn't want the lesson. They just wanted the loaves and the fishes. But then in the end, when he's arrested for doing nothing but good, he reminds them that the sheep will be scattered when the shepherd smith. And there he was, by himself, alone, with the high priest. You say, well, Peter followed, and there was another disciple that followed. Therefore, Yeah, but they were outside. They were out there warming themselves by that barrel, by that fire of the wicked, while Jesus was inside just hours before his crucifixion. If you're not careful in life, we hit it that way as well. You say, well, that's, that's very discouraging. Yes, it is. There's a lot of people that live their life in discouragement. Because from an earthly standpoint, I'm a realist. I look out there, I see it, I think this is really the way it is. I'm not a glass half empty or a glass half full person. I'm just saying the glass ain't got as much in it as it needs to be. It is either half empty or half full. That's the real way it is. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. There are some people who are just perpetually pessimistic. And they can wake up at four in the morning happy, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed. You want something bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at four in the morning at my house? You better catch a squirrel. Or a cat. Because it ain't going to be me. 
there are then some other people who are eternally, excuse me, I said pessimistic, I meant optimistic. I, got, I inverted my slabbles there on that one. Those who are optimistic, who are perpetually smiley and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but then there are the pessimists. Nothing is ever right. The glass might be half empty. It could be fuller. The glass is full. It could be running over. It is running. Well, now it's run over on the table. Look at all, you know. What did David do? said here in verse 6, but that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So the reality in life is, is is that well, we sing, we sing a song. One of our hymns has the line in it that this world is not a friend to lead us on to God. That is so true. This world is not a friend of ours to lead us on to God. This world is not a helper to us to encourage us in godliness. This world is a helper to you to help you stay dissatisfied in life. That's a purpose for commercials. That's a purpose for advertisements to make you completely dissatisfied with everything that you have. I know you have toilet paper, but you need this toilet paper. I know you have toothpaste, but you have this tooth. You need this toothpaste. I know you have, you know, a house. You need this house. I know you have a wife, but you... Get the point? The world is perpetually pushing upon you dissatisfaction with everything you have. It says here that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Um, This is an outstanding verse. And it is a verse that if you can't remember book, chapter, and number, you can at least remember this phrase that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm going to tell you, this is one of the hardest things to do. It's one of the hardest things to come to the Bible to try and find encouragement. Not because encouragement is missing. Encouragement is all throughout the Bible. But it is not appropriate to encourage yourself in the Lord when repentance is in order. It may be that your life is a mess and that your life is turned upside down and that you are going the wrong direction because you're going the wrong direction. It may be that your life is a disaster right now because you're doing the wrong thing. What's that thing that comes across Facebook right right now every now and then? Uh, If at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way your wife told you to. You know, those cute little things like that. Uh, oftentimes I want to look at people and just say, you know, if you're not doing it right, what do the instructions say? You know, where, where, we, where I work nowadays, we uh, we assemble a lot of furniture for people because it's a lot cheaper for all the stuff to come in ready to assemble. So we assemble it. And I'm constantly being asked, where does this go and where does that go from new kids that we train? And I want to look at them and say, what do the directions? I look at them and say, what do the directions say? The box comes with a piece of paper with drawings on it. Words and drawings. If it was just words, it's one thing. But it's words and pictures. And I say to them, what do the directions say? Oh, I didn't think about that.
You know, if your life is a mess, what are the directions say? If you need to repent of something, encouraging yourself in the Lord isn't going to work. But if you can look at all circumstances being equal, all things that there are, say, yes, I am a sinner. I, I know that there are things wrong with me, but I think right now I'm not in a position where I am violating the Word of God at this moment. What is wrong? It might just be then that the devil just really hates you at this moment. And that's an okay thing. It's an okay thing for the devil to hate you. God hates you. That's completely different. But there does come a point in life where if the devil hates you, that's all right. And David says he encouraged himself in the Lord. There was a time when David said, I looked on my right hand and there was no man to help Behold, no man delivered me. There was no man to save me. He said, when all men forsook me, the Lord took me down. It's been a great marvel to me since we've had our prayer meeting that it seems like more people have been missing every Sunday. I realize people have things to do. I've never wanted to be a tyrant preacher. I'm terrified of Ezekiel 34 where he says, with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. But at the same time, I just want to remind people that if you showed up at your secular work the same way that you show up at church sometimes. You've been fired long ago. You say, well, I, I don't preach and I don't lead singing. Yes, but the song leader needs somebody to lead and the preacher needs somebody to preach too. And if nothing else, we need a few men in here to be able to lift up prayer to the Lord. Or else we're going to turn it over to the sisters. That makes everybody feel uncomfortable, didn't it? Y'all all just tightened up real quick on that one, didn't you? But maybe, just maybe, the Lord says, you want my blessing? Okay. How will you act? when you think it's just you and nobody else. You know, when Elijah came down off that mountain after dealing with uh, the prophets of Baal, you know, Elijah over here in 1 Kings 18 and 19, he does this great grand display in front of, in, in front of the people. He asked them, he says, how long halt you between two opinions? You know, if, if God is God, serve God. But if, but if Baal is God... Go serve Baal. Stop trying to serve both of them. Just serve one of them. I don't care what you do. Just do one or the other. Of course, by the end of that, you know what happens. God rains down fire from heaven, answers Elijah's prayer, shows that God is the God uh, of this universe. Baal is nothing. And they slay 
those 850 prophets of Baal that day. And instead of him going forth in that victory, there then comes up this woman Jezebel who says, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And he goes and he runs and hides. Well, I think there's a heap of uh, there's a heap of discovery that needs to go into that verse. It really does. The differences, let alone just between men and women and how they interact with each other, can be looked greatly into that. But Elijah's mindset is one that gets all screwed up in that situation. And he goes off and he hides and he runs away. And he says to the Lord, you know, they've torn down thine altars, they killed thy prophets, and I only am left. You know what, God? Just take me. This is such a discouraging situation. I don't even want to be here anymore. And matter of fact, I'm the only one you got left, so you know, you're losing anyways. Just take my life. And the Lord says to Elijah, He says, uh, Elijah, I've got 7,000 men preserved unto me who've not bowed the knee to Baal. There's another side to this, Elijah, that you can't see. There's another side to this that I am fully in control of. So maybe it says here that David encouraged himself in the Lord. The end result was that David and his men went and pursued after those that had taken their women and taken their children and got everything back. So maybe the lesson to us is that there's another side to this we can't see. There's another side also to people's lives. I know this comes as a surprise to y'all. But what you see on Sunday morning is not all that there is about that person. Y'all know that? There's a lot more to people's lives that people don't divulge on Sunday morning. And some of it's not good. A lot of it's not good. There are reasons beyond our understanding why people do what they do. And I cannot control other people. I cannot control my wife. I cannot control my children. I cannot control y'all. I barely can control myself. Right? And the last thing that we need to do then will be to start fighting amongst ourselves that somebody's not doing what they ought to do. Rather, we should be encouraging others. I know that you're better than this. And I know you can do more. Our coach always told, our coach told us in high school, we weren't a great team, but in every division, there are the good teams and the bad teams, and there are some that are kind of in the middle. Uh, even though one year we we did uh, we almost won our division, we lost we lost the championship game, so we came in second place. So we were better than the other teams in the division. We were that a couple of years. 
But there's a few teams. They're called the cupcake games. Y'all know about that. You know, football team always hires some little league down the street to beat up on homecoming. You know, uh, the coach would always remind us, never play down to your opponent. I think families do that sometimes. They look at their little circle or their little situation and say, oh, I am this, I am that. And you want to look at them and say, stop playing down to your opponent. You're bigger than this. You're better than this. You can do more than this. You've just been convinced by the world you can't. Well, you might not can, but your God can. You might not be better than this situation. But your God is better than anything. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So David didn't encourage himself in his ability. He didn't encourage himself in his wisdom and in his understanding. He encouraged himself in the Lord his It's, it's tough being a disciple. It's tough being a true disciple. But see, this is what Jesus was talking about, though, when he was talking about that straight and narrow path over there in the Gospel of Matthew. It, 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 you know, if you ever noticed also, it's not straight as an S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, like a straight line, but it's S-T-R-A-I-T, a hindered or difficult path. Like we have something here on earth called the Straits of Magellan. It's a waterway, but it's a difficult waterway to converse through life. Life itself is a straight, difficult, crooked, bent, horrendous path at times. It says, few there be that find that. When it comes to the path of discipleship, there are few that actually find that straight and narrow way because really living in sin in this world is a whole lot easier than doing what's right. It's a lot easier. In other words, when you were in school, it's a lot easier to cheat off the person next to you when you were in school, right? Of course, being at home school, you can put them at the end of the table, you know, and it's also good that when they're homeschooled, they're usually only one person in that grade. If you have more than one children in the same grade, you either have twins or you have a problem. And in school, it was just real easy to cheat off the person next to you. It was a whole lot harder to deny yourself at night, study your work. Of course, then you come to find out if you put just as much effort into studying, as you do in trying to cheat, you'd be a whole lot better off. Life's no different. We may pass by the, the mega churches out here and see all that they have. There are just some things that we're not going to compromise on. There are just some things we're not going to do to attract people. Marty Hoskins was at uh, Beulah Church this weekend. He did a wonderful job. Enjoyed what he had to say. 
He told the story, though, about this, this young couple, this couple that came to their church there in North Atlanta. They were from a very large church uh, there in Atlanta, a very large Southern Baptist church. And they were kind of doing some things there that they didn't quite like. So they decided that, hey, we found this little primitive Baptist church. Let's go over there. And they were there about six months. And finally, a lady come up to Brother Marty and she said, you know, we really like being here. We want to donate a piano to the church. And he said, I kind of had to sit her down and say, we don't have a piano because we're four. We have a piano because we don't want one. There are just some things we're not going to do to attract the world. It causes us to be small, so be it. However, we could be 300 large today and we'd still be a small church. I kind of would like that once in a while. But we've got to remember Encourage ourselves in the Lord. If we try and encourage ourselves in circumstances and in people and in situations, it's not. You're going to be disappointed. Life's going to let you down. Your wife's going to let you down. Your husband's going to let you down. Your pastor is going to let you down. If he has, thank you. Well, that was quick. Uh, but yes, you're right. If you're looking at me, yeah, I'm going to let you down a lot. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for the preacher that I've got something to say on Sunday mornings because this is a disaster when I come in here and I think I'm empty as a barrel. You need to pray for the song leader. You need to pray for the song leader. He can lead you properly. That's a portion of your worship. Did you realize that? When he stands here to lead, this is not gathering time. This is worship time. And how he leads the song dictates your attitude to worship. So if you don't like the way he's leading, you have two choices. Lead or pray for the leader. Which one's easier for you? And pray for others. That you pray for the congregation that they would have the desire and the opportunity to be here. Not that they just have the opportunity, but when the opportunity arises, they have the desire to be here as well. And David encouraged himself in the Lord has called him. Thank you for your good attention.